podcast starring dan and brian we are glad to have all you listeners back for our eighth episode today we'll be talking about it's the great pumpkin charlie brown the 1966 animated special i think both of us had seen this movie if you want to call it a movie i guess prior to our preparation for this podcast yes i've seen this quite a few times as i'm sure many of our listeners have It's a staple of network programming around this time of year, or it has been up until this year when Apple sniped it for their proprietary streaming service. Yeah, we can talk a little bit about that um, because it's very interesting. And I think you and I have very different relationships with physical media because I had to subscribe to Apple Plus to watch this. And I didn't really have any other way other than maybe trying to find some sort of stream or download that I could uh, watch it. Because I don't have the DVD of it. And I got out my DVD box set of uh, Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and Christmas that I've had since like 2001 or something. So like I mentioned, this premiered in 1966. The director is Bill Melendez. The writer is, of course, Charles Schulz, the famous comic artist of the Peanuts comic strip that ran for decades and decades. And the voice acting uh, is all children, starring Peter Robbins as Charlie Brown, Christopher Shea as Linus, Bill Melendez, the director, actually voices Snoopy. It's just a sped-up clip of uh, him making silly noises. And Sally Dreyer plays Lucy. And the rest of the cast is also kids. The actress who plays Sally is actually the youngest. She was only six years old when she was cast in the Christmas special a year earlier. So this was the third animated Charlie Brown special following a Charlie Brown Christmas from a year earlier and Charlie Brown's All-Stars, which is a baseball-themed special from earlier in 1966. So this was the third one. Um, Charles Schulz came up with the story and wrote the story. And uh, Bill Melendez, who I mentioned is the director and the voice of Snoopy, uh, he's actually a Mexican-American animator who worked on many of the Golden Age Disney features. And uh, he had a relationship with Charles Schulz. I'm not sure exactly how. And Schulz recruited him for the, the first special. And then Melendez hung on for the first 26 Peanuts specials. He was the director and chief animator. Uh, As I mentioned, the voice actors are all real children, which is kind of a unique thing. Uh, You don't really see casts of all voice actors who are just children. I can't, I actually struggle to think of any other animated feature or movie or show where all of the actors are children. Yeah, sometimes you get a mix. I I know we're both fans of Avatar The Last Airbender that had some some young voice actors, but I, I believe some who are also older. Right, and part of the thing is that there are no adult characters in at least this animated special. I know they eventually get the teacher with the trombone voice, but she has not yet appeared. So the Peanuts animated specials have a long and storied history. I was actually doing some research, and I found a Vulture article on in Vulture magazine that said that there have been 45 different ones released over the span of about 
40 years. That is a lot of specials in one franchise. How many of them do you think you've seen, Brian? So the ones that I know well are the three key holiday ones that always get aired. Uh, It is interesting that Thanksgiving is noticeably a later production. Um, The cast is different. It's got a major focus on uh, characters like Peppermint Patty and Franklin, who didn't come along until later. Um, Beyond that, it's like I've seen bits and pieces of random ones. Um, One that sticks out to me is called Why Charlie Brown Why, which might be their bleakest one. It's like a fault in our stars love story where Linus falls for a girl with cancer. I haven't seen that one, but you sent me the link. I want to see it because I do want to see a Peanuts take on a cancer love story. That's uh, I can't exactly imagine what that would be like. Yeah, one wonders if a young John Green saw that in 1990. <laughs> That's a good point. What about you? What's what's your tally? So this is interesting. Even though I have a lot of sentimental connection to It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, I actually did not see it that many times. I'm going to talk about my actual connection to it a little bit later in the podcast, but I, I probably saw it in the realm of five times when I was a kid. So it wasn't like an annual staple. And I didn't really see it, you know, from when I went entered high school, probably up until I watched it this past week. So it had been a long, long time since I had seen it. Um, I've seen the Christmas special many times, though, and that is, if not annual viewing, pretty close to it for me. I really love the Christmas special. I think it's an uh, unquestionable, unimpeachable masterpiece that kind of really nails exactly what could make this type of special so charming even though its message has been kind of flipped upside down with how commercial and popular it is now. It's a very anti-commercial message, but um, that's actually the special that I have more of a personal watching several times connection to. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the Christmas special, uh, the demon that it's tackling is commercialism, while here in Great Pumpkin... Uh, Linus says the the evil of the Halloween season is insincerity, hypocrisy. And I kind of want to unpack here today what constitutes pumpkin patch hypocrisy. (laughs) What what is it that makes a pumpkin patch particularly sincere? I do want to talk more about that. I I honestly found it kind of astonishing how much it's like a mirror image of the theme of a Charlie Brown Christmas. On the one hand... You have in the Christmas special, Charlie Brown is struggling to find some authenticity among this sort of secular celebrations. Where does the truth come? It comes from Linus. He he brings the the spiritual connection, the, the religious origin, and that kind of unites everyone into this sort of happy ending. And this one, Linus, again, is the one who is kind of taking a spiritual angle on it. But rather than being this kind of uniting, celebrating thing, everybody's constantly making fun of him for it and doubting him for it. And I have to imagine that that was intentional. And I I want to dig a little bit more into that later in this podcast for sure. Yeah. Instead of bringing everybody together at the end here, this uh, exaggerated depiction of religion is isolating and... <laughs> leaves leaves Linus all alone throughout. 
As for the other Peanuts specials, I, I really haven't seen too many of them. I know I know I've seen a few of them because I remember like I think there's an Easter one. I think I saw one time, but I definitely have not dug deep into the long history of Peanuts specials. I was telling you when I saw that there were 45, that number is just enough that it's actually approachable that you could watch all of them. It would be a kind of fascinating completionist effort to see all 45 and write about them or something like that. But I think that that's a little much for me right now, but maybe someday. Yeah, it strains the format of our podcast, but (laughs) maybe someday. I I will say that on my DVD box set, each one of the holiday specials has like a bonus episode on the discs that kind of ties in with the same holiday. But those are an interesting grab bag because those are like from pretty far afield in the Peanuts canon, like not necessarily even TV specials. Um, Like on the Thanksgiving disc, there's an episode of this show that was like on Nickelodeon at one point that was like Peanuts do American history. Interesting. And so it was like the tale of the pilgrims as depicted by the Peanuts cast. And on the Great Pumpkin disc, there is an election special, which may have been timely. Wow, yeah. It doesn't really surprise me that across 45 specials plus various other shows and movies that they've tackled the elections at some point, but we already had our election-themed episode with the American president, although I guess that didn't actually have an election in it, thinking about that. So I'm going to hop into the recap now, unless there was anything else you wanted to say prior to, to moving into that. No, just that this this is a very Halloween-y pick. I believe it'll be going up on our site uh, like the day after or two days after Halloween, but we are in the thick of preparation at the moment i carved my pumpkin last night and this is going to be a very pumpkin-y presentation for you agreed here on the goods we're definitely happy to extend out spooky season halloween season pumpkin season i think both you and i get a lot of joy out of it which we're going to talk a little bit more about in this podcast so this special opens with lucy and linus picking a pumpkin the classic uh theme song in the background they find this large pumpkin It has to be large at Lucy's insistence, kind of echoing something that happens in the Christmas special. Um, But we get this long, wordless intro that's very charming. And I watched this with my daughter. It was probably the hardest she laughed during the whole sequence where they roll the pumpkin and Linus kind of loses control of, of, of rolling it and crashes into something. Then they get ready to carve the, the pumpkin and Linus says something like, I didn't know you were going to kill it or something like that as they start carving it. So, and then we get a spooky title sequence, which I found very charming. Lots of ghosts and witches and stuff. We get some segments of the kids, the characters, just enjoying autumn. They're raking leaves. We get a classic bit of Charlie Brown trying to kick the fo- football, but Lucy pulling it away from him. Linus gets leaves on his, his lollipop, and it just kind of sets the tone of we are in the midst of autumn. And all of it is accompanied by Vince Guaraldi's jazz score. Yeah, absolutely. It's a staple of of these specials is is that that jazzy background music. So then we cut to the the actual plot where we see Linus writing a note to the Great Pumpkin, a mythical figure. Sounds like he's probably actually a pumpkin, but I don't think that's quite clarified. That he's just called the Great Pumpkin. That could just be a name for some sort of I don't know other figure. Linus believes that the Great Pumpkin, 
will deliver presents on Halloween the same way that Santa Claus does. And Linus writes to the Great Pumpkin every year, even though the Great Pumpkin hasn't yet appeared. Linus has this unswerving faith in the Great Pumpkin actually appearing this Halloween. So I like imagining that Linus is not the only devotee of this faith. I like imagining that he heard about it through some grapevine. I know this is a little early for like message boards and chat rooms, but there's got to be some small community of great pumpkin believers uh, like like never nudes on arrested development there are literally dozens i was gonna make that exact reference i'm glad you brought that up there are dozens of us yeah i don't know it doesn't seem like he invented it because his faith in it is so sincere it's like somebody proselytized to him at some point and and he became converted what's your take on the great pumpkin do you think he's an actual pumpkin or do you think he's something else like an orange and black Santa Claus or something? I have always pictured it actually being a pumpkin, a sentient pumpkin. But based on Linus's reaction when he sees, uh, spoilers I guess, sees the, the apparition towards the end, what he believes to be the Great Pumpkin is actually like Snoopy just standing there, Snoopy's silhouette, and that that could be the Great Pumpkin. I don't know. I, I feel that maybe Linus himself, having never seen it, is uh, unclear on its nature. So as he's writing this letter, a whole barrage of characters come up and mock him in different ways, all kind of befitting the character doing the mocking. Charlie Brown makes this dour but rational argument and has this, this good line at the end where when Linus kind of refuses to admit that he might be wrong, Charlie Brown says, we are obviously separated by denominational differences. Snoopy just comes up and laughs at him and his over-the-top laugh. Lucy makes these bullying remarks and bemoans how him believing in this affects her own reputation. And I love how he ends the note to the Great Pumpkin. If you really are a fake, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Which I think is a good thematic insight into him sort of, again, turning the table on the religious overtones of the Christmas special, but we'll definitely get to that. One thing I liked in this letter he's writing to the Great Pumpkin, he says something along the lines of, perhaps being number two to Santa Claus, you try harder. And I, I, I just like the idea that part of his devotion is inspired by the Great Pumpkin being an underdog. It's like the, 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 the members of this faith know that it's a minority, but that that inspires their devotion, increases it, and boosts it. Yeah, when I heard that line, it made me wonder. I know there was a famous ad campaign. I think it was a car rental service. It might have been Hertz or something. I don't know. But they had the famous slogan. They were number two in sales, and so they made their slogan, we're number two, but we try harder. I wondered if this was a direct reference to that or if that ad campaign came later. So the one person who supports Linus is Sally who is, of course, always infatuated with Linus. And she agrees to sit with him on Halloween night while he waits for the great pumpkin to appear. I gotta say, this is relationship goals for me. <laughs> I mean, just sitting in a pumpkin patch all night sounds like a pretty good date anyway. But that part of it is just her standing up for his weird beliefs, like, just because. It's charming. Meanwhile, 
we learned that there's a Halloween party and everyone gets invited, including Charlie Brown, even though Lucy is skeptical that Charlie Brown really had been invited. And they all make their costumes, which I thought was interesting, how they were all ghosts or witches of some sort. Nowadays, when people dress up, it's all like franchise characters or their own creations. But here they're all ghosts and that one witch. Well, and even the witch is covered in a white sheet. It's just a kid covered in a white sheet, but then also a witch mask and hat. And Charlie Brown, of course, is among the ghosts, but he has misshapen holes all over it. And he claims, I had a little trouble with the scissors. I was just trying to imagine him actually cutting all of these holes and how that could have actually happened. But it at least helps us pick out Charlie Brown from the crowd of ghosts in this this pack of uh, trick-or-treaters later. The one character who does not dress as a ghost or a witch is Snoopy, who dresses as a World War One ace pilot. And he carries himself as if he actually is the pilot, as if he's adopted this identity in his imagination, I suppose. So then it's Halloween evening, and Sally does agree to sit with Linus as he waits for the Great Pumpkin as the rest of the kids go trick-or-treating. And they go to all these houses, and they get all these different things it's not just candy, which nowadays I think of trick-or-treating as you just get this small prepackaged candies, but they get coins, they get popcorn balls, and of course Charlie Brown always gets a rock, which I guess is made me think of like getting coal on Christmas. Every house gives him a rock, and he always gets to say, I got a rock. Yeah, this, was, this is always my biggest laugh in this one. But I, I like imagining the preparation process that the neighborhood adults have gone through all year to be ready with their rocks to give to Charlie Brown. I wonder if it's like an inside joke among all the adults of the, the neighborhood. Hey, when Charlie Brown comes around, let's give him a crappy Halloween thing again. Yeah. You feel like it's got to be a conspiracy, the fact that every single house does it. Exactly, and they've got it there ready to go. So I would say... The I Got a Rock line is probably the most enduring thing in my family. It's a, an adaptable line. You can do it anytime you get something bad, some sort of bad gift or like bad outcome. Or you can just be outside and pick up a rock and say, I got a rock, and it'll it'll get a laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely up there for me as, as far as memorable, funny Peanuts moments. It's topped only by the line in the Christmas special when his little tree keels over and he says oh everything i touch gets ruined <laughs> and uh, Charlie that's Brown. The, the, that i think is the one line in any of them that just always cracks me up that's good so someone mentioned snoopy and then we get an extended sequence of snoopy in a sort of imaginary dogfight against the unseen red baron and then he escapes behind enemy lines and I was thought it was interesting. I noticed this time that it's not quite clear to me how much of this is happening in Charlie Brown's imagination or how much of it is happening like with what Snoopy's actually doing because the way it cuts to it is Charlie Brown says something along the lines of uh, I bet he's I don't remember what he says but like speculates on what he might be doing and then it kind of cuts upward almost as if it's something that Charlie Brown is thinking about. What, what's your take on the nature of reality of, of this sequence? So I've always taken it to be that it's in Snoopy's imagination. Like Snoopy is actually walking across town because when the sequence ends, he is at the Halloween party. 
I, I like this sequence a lot, and I've just taken it to be like he is in the process of walking across town on Halloween night, Snoopy is, and while he's walking, he's having this like Walter Mitty fantasy. Yeah, I could definitely buy that for sure. It's definitely the sequence where they put the most effort into doing the animation itself. There's lots of interesting technical things like moving the frame in and out and long shots with Snoopy moving across it and changing colors and tinting and stuff. You can tell this is like where the animators got to have their fun, the little toy box. Also here, they really let the score dominate while Snoopy is sneaking around. There's this noodling, noodling on like a clarinet or something. And it just has this creepy sneaking around sound through the underbrush. It's like, and it reminds me a lot of a similar bit of music that pops up in the Jungle Book, which was around this same time in the 60s. It's just like sneaking through jungle overgrowth music to me. So the trick-or-treaters, after they get all their snacks and Charlie Brown gets his rock, they proceed to the Halloween party, but not before accosting Linus once more. And even Sally starts to grow a little bit skeptical about the Great Pumpkin, who of course has not yet arrived. And at the Halloween party, they have quite a bit of fall fun. They carve jack-o'-lanterns, they bob for apples, they dance to music where we get one of the signature sequences of Snoopy dancing to Schrader playing music. I haven't seen that many Peanuts specials, but that's something that has appeared in all the ones I've seen. So Snoopy, who as Brian mentioned, had arrived at the party, he leaves after, is it just because he's sad from the music that Schrader played or... Was he made fun of? I can't remember. But he decides to leave the Halloween party. He crawls through the pumpkin patch. And he kind of appears as the silhouette in the shadows in the pumpkin patch. And it causes Linus to mistake him for the great pumpkin. And Sally recognizes Snoopy immediately. And throws this tantrum at Linus about missing the tricks or treats and the Halloween party. I thought it was interesting how it was always tricks or treats. But I grew up saying trick or treat. Yeah, I I wonder about that. This special is interesting for the window it offers into Halloweens of the past. Like, I feel like maybe even in 1966, this was already a nostalgic portrayal of Halloween. Like, it, it really feels like something out of the 50s or like even the 40s or something. Just all the kids making the homemade costumes and the activities they do. And I wonder if the phrasing is part of that. Yeah, I agree. That was on my list of things I liked about this is there's kind of an American mid-century nostalgia to the whole affair. One thing I did want to point out about the party is my second biggest laugh when the girls pull Charlie Brown aside and say they want to use him as a model for their pumpkin. And he, like, has a brief swelling of pride. Oh, you're going to use me as a model? And they just use the back of his bald head to draw on with a pen. <laughs> to just draw a simple pumpkin face on the back of his large head. It's a good moment, yeah. So Sally, who at this point 
is upset at Linus for wasting her evening on Halloween, leaves him by himself in the pumpkin patch because he's still insistent upon waiting for the great pumpkin by himself. And he makes this kind of grand final plea for the great pumpkin to rise. And then we cut to Lucy waking up and checking the clock and it's 4 a.m. And she goes and checks her brother's bed. Linus is her brother and he's still not home. So she goes outside and finds him shivering in his blanket in the pumpkin patch in the dark and brings him home and puts him to bed. We take it that the great pumpkin never appeared. And then the special ends with this conversation between Charlie Brown and Linus commiserating on another wasted Halloween. Charlie Brown, because he got rocks and he got made fun of at the party. And Linus lamenting that there was no appearance of the great pumpkin. Then Charlie Brown makes this offhanded remark calling Linus's choice to wait for the great pumpkin stupid. And Linus just blows up in rage saying he's, it's not stupid. The, the great pumpkin is real. And the special ends with Linus in this fit of rage at Charlie Brown, which again, I took to be a, a bit of commentary on the religious parallels here. Yeah. It's definitely a theme, you know, is, belief in something that you can't ever perceive a worthwhile endeavor and that ends the 25-ish minutes special so the way i want to structure the the rest of this podcast episode is well for me this is kind of peak autumn with pumpkins and i have a lot of reminiscences about this special in particular but also autumn pumpkins and i want to talk about the good things and the not so good things like we usually do but then i want to make sure we give ourselves some space to talk a little bit about autumn in general because to me part of the appeal of this is that it's just so associated with autumn for me yeah it sounds like you have a wealth of autumn experiences to draw on here i know in our last uh, solo episode on over the garden wall i definitely took a deep dive into my personal connection to the media so now perhaps is your turn so let's start by talking about some of the good things here the good things and it's the great pumpkin charlie brown i would say the kind of overarching thing i most enjoyed is that there's just an appealing shagginess to everything in this special and that goes for the other peanuts specials as well the animation is sort of sketch-like like it feels hand-drawn the voice work is very plaintive despite being little kids it's kind of generally low-key we do get lucy getting mad and we get some of the goofy snoopy sounds but overall it sounds kind of like adults talking except it's kid characters and kid voice actors there's also a looseness in the structure there's a mix of a kind of overall plot but it's really just all these little scenes these little moments in in the halloween night uh it's just kind of very appealing to to hang out and spend time with so something I've noticed in these original Peanuts specials, you talked about the sketch-like animation, the somewhat simplistic animation. One of the prominent credits is for graphic blandishment. And I've always wondered what that meant. Is it like somebody came in with something too flashy and, and this is the person responsible for just saying, no, we got to keep it bland. <laughs> this is early television animation we gotta keep things bland guys I, i'm gonna look that up because i want to know what 
blandishment is as well. I did see that. So according to Google, blandishment is a, a flattering or pleasing statement or action used to persuade someone gently to do something. Well, that has nothing to do with animation, so I have no idea. Maybe we can figure that out, but I, I agree with you. There's there's the fun image of imagining someone being in charge of keeping this sketch-like a- aesthetic. So this, I actually used to uh, read a little bit about the history of animation, and the 60s was right around when there was a lot of new technology, but it was still in its fairly primitive state, so it couldn't do carefully blended outlines around characters or moving objects. This is right around the time of the Jungle Book, as you mentioned, and also 101 Dalmatians, both of which have kind of the sharp outlines on the characters and the objects, which makes it feel like it's hand-drawn like a pencil. So part of me wonders if this was an intentional aesthetic choice or if it was kind of a technological necessity or maybe those things just kind of collided to this this very unique and to me likable look that befits the material quite well. Yeah, and and not to dive too deep into animation history. I know we've got some ground to cover, but this was a time when animation was becoming affordable for television producers. And so you suddenly see an explosion, you know, around this time is when you get the Flintstones in prime time. Uh, But also it was an era of an explosion for the first time really of holiday specials. Like 1964, 65, 66 is when you get all of the key early specials, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Charlie Brown Christmas and Mr. Magoo. And it just kind of all burst onto the scene at once. And a lot of those are still iconic. I also definitely find a lot of appeal in the Vince Guaraldi jazz score. It's like that that whole sound is synonymous with the the Peanuts specials to me. Is that something that that you enjoy about these as well? Uh definitely. And it's it's very prominent. They use the jazz a lot. There are scenes where it kind of takes over the dialogue takes a backtrack in scenes like Snoopy's Fantasy however real it is, uh, a lot of good music there. And like you said, in a lot of these specials, they will dedicate at least one scene to just dancing or uh, like ice skating in the Christmas one. That's how that starts out. And it's all accompanied by these numbers by Garaldi. Another overarching thing that I found very fascinating and was what I probably spent the most time thinking about is this subversiveness of this belief in the Great Pumpkin which we've already spent a lot of time pontificating about, but I do want to spend a couple minutes unpacking. To me, it felt like a pendulum swing back where Shawls didn't want to just be the guy who did the religious undertones to the specials that everybody was seeing. He, he wanted to, I don't know, like sprinkle in different tones because Peanuts wasn't just like one moralistic comic. It, it, it was a pretty complex, very thoughtful and nuanced look often with like this sort of melancholy take kind of looking at the multitudinous of you know human existence and i i really appreciate that this wasn't just a retread it was a it was a a separate sort of inspection of of some of the the themes about secular versus spiritual i agree it is interesting to unpack where exactly he was coming from Because certainly this 
seems like kind of a critical look at Linus's ritual. Um, you wonder, you know, this is seems to be hurting his social connections, but he remains devoted to it at the end. Yeah, in my memory, this was more romanticized, his unwavering belief. But when I watched it this time, I definitely felt that he was more the subject of scorn, especially when he got really defensive at the end. Charlie Brown was right. It was a pointless waste of a Halloween evening when all these other kids had lots of fun. It was like kind of a raucous evening for everyone. He just kind of sat there and, you know, hoped in something that was never going to happen. Kind of surprised. I wonder if it had any backlash of like people saying I was making fun of religion. I, I haven't ever read or heard anything about that, but that was kind of my reaction as he was almost making fun of religion in this. Mm-hmm. But on the one hand, I think you can also see Linus as being quixotic. Like, he's got this noble ideal that he's sticking to, even despite it not really jiving with modern reality. Uh, you know, he's, t- he's tilting at windmills here, believing in a great pumpkin and, and keeping his unshaking faith. One thing that, as much as I enjoyed it, I wish it would have gone a little deeper into it and a little even like darker and meaner than it did because it basically just plays this gentle parody with like the same couple notes repeated over and over again. The kid's making fun of him for this goofy thing that he believes and complaining that he's wasting his evening and him just saying, nope, it's going to happen over and over again. So, you know, it's not, it's it, even though it's a very interesting theme, it's not like it's a treatise or anything. And one, one little thing that I really enjoyed is the, I think I mentioned this already, the, the spooky title sequence goes on for about a minute and it's kind of got these fantastical spooky images appearing in the background as these kids wander from house to house. I, I really enjoyed that little segment. Yeah, there's like a little black cat and skeletons like dancing across the sky. So in addition to the stuff that we kind of mentioned as we went through the recap, those were most of the good things that I enjoyed about this, this special. What about you? So I I think we're going to get into this in our next section, but a lot of what is good about this special to me is the memories it inspires of watching this special. Well, I remember that at TJ, our high school, they would show it, like if Halloween fell on a weekday, they would show it in the mornings, like while people were just sitting around the hallways uh, and they would play it over the video network to like pop up on all the TVs in the school simultaneously. And I always thought that was really cool. I don't remember that. That is cool. Yeah. Um, But one thing we haven't commented on yet that I also like about the special itself is it does a good job at the end when Lucy goes to get Linus out of the pumpkin patch at 4 a.m. of capturing the abrupt transition between Halloween and November. And this is something I... I mentioned in our commentary on over the garden wall, but it really is a weird feeling each year. It's kind of the one moment in the overarching holiday season when you can take a breath. It's like everything goes super hard with Halloween, all the decorations, all the prep, all the celebration. And then you get like five days of this weird twilight realm where it's not Thanksgiving yet. They're not pushing Christmas super hard quite yet. And it's just this moment of breathing space where you're like, oh, what do I do now? Yeah, and the leaves are still changing color at that point. It's it's a good 
good week or two, like you mentioned, and we're about to experience that ourselves here. Is there anything in this film that you did not enjoy quite as much? Anything that has lost its luster? Well, we talked about the cool animation on the Snoopy segment, but I got to admit, I really thought that it kind of jarred the, the whole thing to a halt for like five minutes. And it's cool animation, and I kind of agree that the visual of him sneaking around town, imagining that he's, uh, you know, a, a fallen pilot uh, in World War One is cool. But honestly, the overall reaction that I had is that it's just kind of boring compared to everything else. There's no dialogue that we spent a long time just seeing him sitting on top of the doghouse. Then the segments of him kind of uh, after he's gotten off the doghouse headed towards the house are, are a little bit repetitive. So it is cool animation, but I honestly felt that it sucks the momentum out like right partway through. But I know that that's a sequence that you particularly like. I do, but I agree that it throws off the pacing. Uh, I'm definitely going to throw out a, a not-so-good thing here in a second. Uh, did you have anything else to add about why this bit in, in specific was grating? Well, I mean, when I watched it, I, I just thought it felt like a knockoff Looney Tunes, um, like a lesser version of that, whereas the real charm of Peanuts are these kids who talk like adults with the jazzy background and kind of the looseness to it. But go ahead, What you were going to add something there. Well, what I was just going to say is that overall, I don't love the Peanuts specials as much as some people seem to think I should, or just the industry presents it like I should. They have a lot of cultural cachet, for sure. Yeah, they cemented themselves a place in the culture early on that they have to get dragged out again every year. But held up against pretty much any other special that I've enjoyed multiple times, they just feel a little bland to me. Uh, part of it is that they are seemingly dated in their humor. Like there's jokes in the Christmas one that I just don't understand. Like when Lucy puts up the sign on her stand that says, the doctor is real in I don't know what that means. <laughs> it has baffled me my whole life. And my dad is like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, reel in, man. And I'm like, what does that mean? That is just <laughs> lost to the ages. That's pretty funny. Um, and it can be charming, certainly. I, I, I like looking especially back on the past Halloween traditions, like we mentioned. Um, but it just feels a little bit lost on me at times like i remember growing up they would always show the charlie brown specials in a one hour block together with the garfield holiday specials and i would always love the garfield it's pretty funny and tolerate tolerate the charlie brown so for me the christmas special is really magical i have more nostalgia for that one but i also think that one just holds together a lot better than this one I just think overall, I kind of agree with you. I'm not sure I would call it bland, but it just doesn't hold together as quite as magical. There are some things about it I really like and that I think are kind of thoughtful. As I was rewatching it, I wasn't like swept away with mysticism the way that I, I am with some other things. But yeah, I didn't have any other specific complaints beyond all of that. I, I think 
overall each of the things does pretty well in what it tries to do and uh, you know there's a lot of charm to it even if it's not a masterpiece so now I wanted to take a few minutes and give us the opportunity to kind of reflect on fall and pumpkins in particular I had a couple of stories I wanted to tell do you mind if I go ahead with that yeah take the deep dive let's do it so I want to start with talking about my grandfather, and this is going to come back to Charlie Brown in, in, in a minute here, but my grandfather, William Stalkup, was born in 1914, and he is like the epitome of a greatest generation American. He was a teenager driving Model T trucks for his mom, who owned the local general store in McLean, Virginia. He was a soldier in World War II. I think his job was as a firefighter, but I'm not really 100% sure. And then he came home from the war. He married a Southern Belle, my my grandmother. He got some acreage from his mom and built his own house, which to me is just mind-blowing, that someone could build their own house just on some land. And he and all of his siblings built houses on the same road, Park Road and McLean. He had eight kids. Now, granted, I'm the oldest of a big family of six kids, but... As a parent of two, the prospect of eight kids is just kind of mind-blowing to me. You know, a century ago, 50 years ago, that was a little bit more common. My dad was the youngest of those eight, and we grandkids always called my grandfather Big Daddy, which never struck me as kind of goofy until I got into about high school and would tell people that. And they're like, Big Daddy, what is he, like a a pimp from the 70s or something like that? the association people seem to have with that. It's also, I think, an Adam Sandler movie. But for me, Big Daddy will always be my World War II soldier grandfather. Uh, in McLean, he owned a farm and a produce stand to sell some of the, the stuff that he grew. And he opened a furniture store on Old Dominion Parkway, which I don't know how long it was open, but for uh, much of my dad's young adult life, that was kind of... The, the family hub was the furniture store. And he had this bright red International Harvester tractor that will always be associated with Big Daddy when I think of him. Is this, this bright red tractor. It had this trailer, too. A really interesting thing about my grandfather is that he was a very skilled duck pin bowler. He actually won a national title in duck pin bowling. And duck pin bowling, in case you don't know, is... A variation on bowling where the pins and the balls are much smaller. So you actually cup the whole ball in your hand and roll it. Um, It's the same 10-pin formation that you typically see nowadays. But uh, everything is smaller, so the scores are lower because it's kind of harder to knock down the pins. And he he won a, a national title one year. He actually held two world records on duck pin bowling for certain formats of counting scores and we actually have like this old printed sports almanac that has his name listed as holding these world records and at one point he actually was the demonstrator for the duck pin portion of a kind of cheesy old informational video that i imagine them playing at elementary schools called let's go bowling and brian if i'm not mistaken i think you used that on uh your public access tv show count gauntly at one point i think i sent it to you Yes, that's right. You provided me with that early on in the show's run. I finally got around to using it, I believe, in episode 42, which was an education-themed episode. 
So Big Daddy spent his whole life uh, in McLean, Virginia, after he got back from the war. And uh, he was a huge community man, particularly at the local Methodist church. Around 1980, he started organizing a little family-only event, and he called it the Pumpkin Hunt. And it was centered around picking your own personal pumpkin from the pumpkin patch, because they, they started growing a few pumpkins in the, the farm that he owned. And over the next few years, they started bringing in friends, and they eventually brought it to the church that, that he was uh, very involved in. And it became this huge event that just grew bigger and bigger throughout the early and mid-80s. And it became really well-known around the community. My dad has this fond memory of going to the local grocery store, and as he was checking out, somebody was asking people if they were going down to the big pumpkin hunt over at the church. It was kind of cool hearing like, the community celebrating this thing that his dad organized. And eventually the the pumpkin hunt became themed around It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. They really leaned into that as the theme. They made these big decorations, like hand-painted, homemade peanuts decorations that they'd put up around the pumpkin patch. The, the main thing that my grandfather grew was corn. And they would drive the tractor through the corn that, that was dying this late in the fall and it would make a corn maze and they would put up signs on all the different segments of the maze and each kind of row each segment was named after a peanuts character the one i always remember is lucy lane so they would have like street names named after characters but the main kind of event of the pumpkin hunt is they would place out in the yard or in the the parking lot all these pumpkins kind of simulating this pumpkin patch and you would get a ticket with a number. I remember it being those like little lottery tickets where you kind of have two and you would look at the last three digits and you would go find a pumpkin where they had sharpied on numbers and find the one that matched your ticket. You would find it and then you would bring it up to the front. Like there's like a, a table at the front. When you brought it up there, you would have to guess the weight. They would write it down and then they would put the pumpkin on the scale they would see how close you were. And the person who was the closest at the end of the day would get a prize of some sort. Or You would also get uh, a little prize. And I always thought it was funny. It was like this kind of big board. And you would find your number, again, the same one that was on your ticket. And the prizes would always be in uninflated balloons. So they would pull that down off the board. And inside the uninflated balloons, there would usually be like a couple little pieces of candy, like a Tootsie Roll or something. There would often be coins, and if you got lucky, sometimes there would be dollar bills or like little toys, little trinkets in there. And so that was that was always fun too. You would find your pumpkin, bring it up, guess the weight. And of course, as a kid, you have no sense of like what is a pound. So you know, I would guess like 20 pounds for my one and a half pound pumpkin. And then you would get a little little prize too. And there was always some like element of a presentation as well at some point. So they would do some prayer, but there would also be music. My, my dad's family was always big into music. And the signature thing I remember about the music is they would always do two numbers. One was a, a medley of gospel tunes. But the really cool one is uh, Big Daddy and my, my aunt, they wrote this song that tells the story of the great pumpkin. It's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And 
it had references to the actual pumpkin hunt event. So they wrote this original song for the pumpkin hunt that would be performed every year. We actually performed it when my grandfather died, I believe. Uh, we did a special like performance of it at his church one time. It was a like a, a really cool part of the pumpkin hunt was the song. I think I'm actually going to end this episode uh, by playing that. I'll, I'll add the audio to that, and I'll uh, include a link in the description to the YouTube video. My dad would always have video cameras, even from the mid-'80s. He was always into like taking pictures and recording videos, and he has a whole bunch of renditions of it, of them performing the song throughout the years. Uh, there was other fun stuff that always go on in the pumpkin hunt. I remember one year... My uncle dressed up in this really elaborate gorilla costume and came. And people would also bring desserts. And after you got your pumpkin, it was kind of like a potluck for dessert. You'd go get to choose from cookies and pies and, and enjoy that. And I also remember that if it was a football game, particularly the Washington Redskins, as they used to be known, they would turn on the TV with like one of those big antennas and you'd get a black and white, like tiny screen uh, football game that the men would hang around and watch as uh, the afternoon went on. And another big piece of it was like hay rides in that red tractor that I mentioned. They would always put a sign on the tractor trailer calling it the Charlie Brown Express. So the pumpkin hunt was like a really big part of my childhood. It was like my main fall tradition along with dressing up for Halloween. It started to fizzle in the late 90s as the people who were organizing it got older and the community changed a little bit. And it ended sometime in the 2000s. I think the last real one was in 2003. Big Daddy was 89. And uh, I was talking with my dad about it. He thinks that was the last time that Big Daddy ever drove that that red tractor, uh, was doing the, the hayride that year. So it's kind of like a, a special moment of finality for both the pumpkin hunt and my grandfather's like really illustrious and interesting life. So whenever I uh, think of It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, I kind of think of my grandfather and, and everything, the pumpkin hunt and all that stuff, because honestly, that's more of my attachment is the, the theming of that event around It's the Great Pumpkin, as opposed to the special itself, which I did not watch that many times. Well, thank you for sharing that. Well, I think we talked a little bit about it, uh, maybe a couple of times in the past, but it's, it's definitely interesting how a piece of media can get tied in with your life. And really, a lot of the appeal of it hinges on how it forms those connections. Beyond the pumpkin hunt, fall has always been like a big part of my life. It's just like always for the highlight of the year for me, which I've always found ironic because it's like a time of decay in nature. But for me, it's like always it's a time of new beginnings. And part of the reason of that is in high school, it was the start of the new school year. It was the marching band season, the big new season for us. You were in marching band with me. They had the homecoming dance. I loved high school high school football games. It was always like a just a very exciting time for me. And then when I got out of college, uh, my job I worked for, you actually still work for this company, if I'm not mistaken. The company I worked for, our, the big business was these summer classes. And I was one of the directors, and I would work so hard all summer. And then when those summer classes ended, we all at the company took some time off we all relaxed we all celebrated the conclusion of the summer and so for me i've always planned vacations in the fall not in the summer for my adult life i got married in the fall in 2012 and then ever since i've been married i've always done a big fall trip every year with my family for my honeymoon i went to hawaii i've been to the bahamas asheville miami one year i went 
to New Orleans with you, Brian. That was a fun one. Yep, I always do a fall trip too, and a lot of it owes to the the company structure, like you were just saying, and how that calendar unfolds. But for my public access show, I tape everything a month in advance of when it's going to air, and so uh, September is when the Halloween trip happens. And yeah, I can definitely relate. I've done trips to like Salem and Roswell and the New Orleans trip with you, uh, Sleepy Hollow, a few others at this point. It's definitely a good time for traveling. It's not too hot. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the vacation-y places, the touristy places tend to be a little bit less crowded because the kids have gone back to school and families aren't traveling quite as much. I highly recommend traveling during the autumn if you're going to go on a vacation. Maybe not now, in 2020, but in the future. Um, my biggest trip ever in the fall was I went to Italy in 2016. And it was autumn there too. I never really thought about like, what is autumn like in Italy? But it turns out geographically, it's like it's on a similar latitude that we are. So you go to Tuscany and you, you see trees that are quite a bit like the ones we have here. And it, it really actually felt a lot like American climate and just kind of the nature element when you're out in Tuscany. But we also went to Rome, Venice, Florence, Siena. We love Siena so much. And that was my first time out of the country. So that was 2016. And I will definitely always cherish that trip in particular. Have you ever been to Italy? I have been to Italy in high school. This, this episode's bringing back a lot of high school memories for me because, yeah, I did take several um, out-of-the-country trips, one of which was a whirlwind two weeks where we went to uh, the first week we were on a ship and we went around the Greek islands. So uh, Santorini and Mykonos and uh, a lot of those. And then in the second week of the trip, we were on a bus mostly and went to places in Italy. We did see Rome. We saw the Vatican on Easter, actually. And that was definitely a great trip. So people should see Italy at least once if they can. Definitely. So do you have any other kind of fall thoughts or fall pumpkin connections you wanted to share? I have many thoughts, many pumpkin connections. Uh, this is something we could dwell on for a while. Perhaps, uh, if this podcast goes strong for another year, I will go all out with a personal tribute to what Halloween in this season has meant to me, but I'll try to check off a couple bullet points here. I've always felt a connection to pumpkin patches and pumpkins. The local one is called the Burke Pumpkin Playground. And I'm pretty sure my family's been going since that has existed circa like 1994 or something when that got established. And it's it's part of the local nursery. So like during the rest of the year, they're selling other kinds of plants and gardening supplies. But in October, they have a plot of land where they've built out these wooden installations, big slides and stuff and just interesting sculptures there's a hill where the attraction is there are like cut lengths of gardening tube, like for drainage ditches and stuff. And you go into the tube and you roll down the hill in the tube as fast as you can. That's cool. So, 
yeah so it's like uh extra litigious activities <laughs> things things you could potentially get hurt doing and and you know it's it's old-fashioned fun in that way and it's got the hayride and stuff you know the things set up out in the woods with scary masks nailed to them and you drive by slowly in the in the tractor so i'm no stranger to that and the appeal thereof um there is another pretty nearby attraction called cox farms that kind of ups the production value a bit they've got you know paid actors and uh bigger deal corn maze and stuff that i also enjoy yeah i went there with my daughter one time it's definitely like a really cool pumpkin patch and all of the associated autumn totems that are a part of that. I will say, uh, if you know me at all, you probably know that I have an association with like horror movies and just kind of the Halloween season in general is a big red letter time for me. That kind of began circa 2003, like the beginning of my high school experience. Uh, we had a big tree out in front of our house, like a pine tree, Christmas tree type tree when I was little. And it just kind of got old and sickly. And we cut it down in 2003. And then that left us with a big open front yard. And so around about that time, I started putting like the foam tombstones out there. And our decorations have just grown since then. And in parallel to that, our next door neighbor started getting every year a thousand pound pumpkin what? brought in. That's huge. A thousand pounds. I didn't know pumpkins could get that big. They didn't grow them themselves, did they? No, there's a farm in Maryland that he has a connection with. And they know every year to set aside <laughs> one of the big ones for him. And he'll go and get it in his pickup truck and bring it back. Oh my gosh. And their family every year has an event where like the cousins will come and they'll like load the pumpkin into its place in the yard, which practically takes a crane to do. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so there's just kind of been this spirit of neighborly competition that we build every year on what we've got. So this year I went and got the giant home Depot skeleton for the yard. And of course he's like six feet away from their thousand pound pumpkin. That's cool. We have we we have one of those houses in our neighborhood that goes all out on the the Halloween decorations themselves. Their big thing are the, those inflatables that you plug in and are are kind of blown up, and they have a whole bunch of different cartoony ghosts and witches and stuff. But we don't have any thousand pound pumpkins in our uh, our neighborhood. Yep. This episode will be going live shortly after Halloween 2020, but come by in 2021, and you should get a show. <laughs> Uh, last couple things, pumpkin carving, I am very into just, uh, I really appreciate it as an art form that you get to do each year and I get better each year. So I'm not at the level of an Instagram professional artistic pumpkin carver, but it is the most professional art medium I do. It's, it's the art that I am most confident in. That's cool. Like, yeah. I would say I am a pretty good pumpkin carver. Well, you do characters from your your TV show every year. I remember one year you carved me and my zombie character. That's right. You and your wife. And that's something I've gotten good at since about that time is 
uh, using photographs to develop pumpkin patterns. So if anybody is interested, I can carve you on a pumpkin. If we ever set up like a Patreon, that could be one of the perks. That's right. It should be a side hustle. I really, really ought to pursue that. But just <laughs> I wanted to share something personal in my life is I have this fantasy that this is really going to appeal to some woman <laughs> just that I, I will carve carve a girl on a pumpkin and she'll be very taken with that gesture. And so far I've attempted this about five times and it has never worked. So <laughs> it's kind of my, uh, my sitting in the pumpkin patch. Uh, I just, I have faith that someday this is going to pay off. You're searching for your Sally. That's right. It's, I, I feel like maybe it's like a, a Pygmalion Galatea thing where like this thing that I make with my hands, it's just, that's what I fall in love with. And it's probably very unhealthy, but I, I will persist. Man, lots of autumn memories and traditions for the both of us. In fact, that's one of the reasons I wanted to pick something short here is I wanted some space to uh, just talk about autumn in general. So thank you for indulging me, Brian, and listeners. Oh, certainly. I'm glad we both had the opportunity to share. And I think picking a shorter work, a shorter film for today was a wise choice. So that brings us to our signature section. Is it good? The still yet to be finalized scoring system that we use to determine whether the films that we watch are good. It's an eight point rating system of goodness ranging from very not good up through the top tier, which is tour day good. We actually gave out our first tour day good last week. So Brian, overall, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Where does it fall on the is it good scale for you? For me, this is going to get a very good six out of eight. And some of that may be just how ably it captures the spirit of the season and in so doing brings a heaping helping of nostalgia with it every year when it arrives. Cool. So I had last week we we talked, you in particular talked about how House, which we watched last week, was an unrateable movie. And I actually find this to be a somewhat unrateable too, because it's just so tied up as a institution. It's like hard for me to do an independent qualitative reading of this film. So I decided my rating would be how much did I enjoy watching it this time? What was my reaction trying to separate it from the nostalgia which is partially tied up to the film specifically, but also is just makes me think of Autumn. And I landed on overall, I think it is a good special. It doesn't hold together quite as well as the Christmas special for me. That's the other one that I have the most experience with. I do think it overall it's it's a fun watch, but um, and it's got some got some cool stuff, some cool stuff to think about and look at, but. Good is is where I land on that. I think that's certainly fair. Uh, I, I felt in looking back that I may have been a little harsh in my house rating. I still stand by it, but maybe I'm having a bit of a rubber band effect here. Like I, I feel like I, 
I, I need to bring some positivity that was perhaps missing in our last chapter. I do think my overall average of ratings has been higher than yours. So I feel good that I rated something lower than you this time. Indeed. Brings us back to, uh, to even on that. So that'll bring us close to the ending here. I like for us to each have to have some parting thoughts about something that we're watching or thinking about or reading or doing unrelated. Although I guess we did already have quite a bit of unrelated stuff already, but um, what's, what's been going on with you this autumn? It's been good. The year as a whole has been pretty crappy. I felt like I had a really, really good 2019 up until October, and I had a very lousy 2020 up until October. But things have kind of turned around a little bit, and I've had a good month. What about you? Yeah, 2020 has been obviously rough overall, and not to get political, but I've had quite a bit of angst over the past few weeks about the upcoming election. But by the time this is posted, we'll be a day away from the election. And then hopefully next time we record, we'll have some sense of what the future of our country holds. But the thing I actually wanted to share here is that one pleasure of being a parent has been discovering kids' books and other media that has been made since I was a kid or that I just didn't experience when I was a kid. And I found I really enjoy the Halloween themed stuff because it tends to have a little bit more creative art and music. One that I've been thinking about a lot is there's this, this author illustrator of mainly board books, which are the cardboard kids books aimed usually at very young kids. And her name is Sandra Boynton. She's like the Wayne Gretzky of kids books, uh, board books, particularly she's like the champion. She's the greatest. And I, one thing I admire about her is that although she has kind of a consistent brand and look, which are these cartoon animals, like farm animals, mostly none of her books have exactly the same structure or exactly the same premise. She doesn't do sequels other than pig character called Pookie. There's a whole line of books for that, but otherwise, she doesn't do uh, sequels or repeats of the same, same exact premise or same exact structure. And she has a couple of Halloween books, but my favorite is called Eek Halloween. And the premise is these chickens are noticing strange things happening in a neighborhood. And of course, we all recognize it to be Halloween things, but it's monsters appearing, aliens, and robots and things. And my favorite page is, it's one of the last pages, it's a close-up of a chicken with a big speech bubble where the, the, the chicken is saying, what's going on here? What does it mean? And the next page they say, relax, silly chicken, it's Halloween, or something along those lines. But the page with the chicken saying, what's going on here, what does it mean, was always a favorite of mine from when I first read it. And it's a line I just repeat a lot in my day-to-day. And my wife found a t-shirt of this chicken saying, what's going on here? What does it mean? And it's, it's something that I, I like to wear in, in the fall time. I mean, it applies in, in general. And it's a very 2020 slogan, I would say. But it's, uh, it's a favorite of mine. I love when that happens. When a line 
from something works its way into your day-to-day life in just some generic context, like a situation that comes up all the time. Yeah. So if you're if you're a new parent, go look up Sandra Boynton and her, her board books, and in particular, look up Eek Halloween. So a couple things that I've been watching. Last night, I watched a Goofy movie, which I know that you're a fan of. That would be a, a fun episode to do sometime, even though I've written about it at least two or three times on the blog we write for, but I would always happy to talk about that movie. I think that was the revelation for me of the value of Disney Plus is that it means you can watch a goofy movie anytime, anywhere. <laughs> it's worth the price of admission by itself. Exactly. Also, in Disney Plus news... When we are recording this, it's the day that the premiere episode of season two of The Mandalorian drops. So I'll probably be checking that out. That's one I did not catch up with. I, I do want to see it at some point. Uh, I know it's the, the famous Baby Yoda that is pervasive on social media and ads. Exactly. Got to see what he's up to. So we had a special episode last week, uh, and then I'm hosting this week, which means you are up next week. So your turn to pick a film for me to watch and for us to talk about. So what are you going to have me watch? So the way things panned out this past month, um, we had our, our collab episodes, like you just said. And the end result is that I've picked one thing Halloween-y so far. I got in my Over the Garden Wall pick. And if you'll humor me, I am going to pitch a second in the spirit of that season. I know we'll be bleeding a fair ways over into November, but... I've got a horror movie on the docket. Yeah, no problem at all. I am uh, I'm into extending spooky season. I got a subscription to Shudder this year, so I'm I'm excited to uh, keep watching scary stuff even after Halloween. Wonderful. So the movie I have selected is I guess I'll drop a, a little mini spoiler and say it's a favorite of mine. It's Return of the Living Dead from 1985. It's a sort of sequel to Night of the Living Dead from 1968, but it isn't really connected in any meaningful way to that past film. Awesome. It's not George Romero, correct? That's correct. I believe the only connection is that uh, Russo, I think it's John Russo, was the writer of Night of the Living Dead, and he is, I believe, the director of Return of the Living Dead. But it's extremely 80s. It's got some great practical effects. And I'm interested to hear your take on it. So I have not seen any Living Dead franchise zombie movies. This has a connection to Night of the Living Dead. Would you prefer I not pre-watch Night of the Living Dead prior to this? Or do you think it doesn't really matter one way or the other? So there's no need to watch Night of the Living Dead. I'll bring this up in our episode, but it's like Troll 2. You don't have to have seen Troll 1. Okay. Um, if you would like to watch Night of the Living Dead, the episode of Gauntly where you become a zombie features Night of the Living Dead. It's the beaver episode. That's right, yeah. So you could always revisit that one. Good thought. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to talking with you about that next week. Thank you, as always, for joining. Hey, thanks for hosting. It was a lot of fun. Uh, have a ha- Hope you had a happy Halloween, everybody as we journey further into the holiday season. Definitely. And I will play us out with the pumpkin hunt song that I mentioned 
I don't know how clear the audio is going to be, but it's, this is a favorite memory of mine. Here is the, the pumpkin hunt two, song. Bye, guys. One, two, three, five! Thank you, Mike.